missions is it's like we don't want it to grow dim we don't want it to become common we don't want it to be ordinary or predictable it has to continuously be a fire in our heart it has to continuously be something that we see with fresh eyes all the time Jesus said lift up your eyes and look and we have to do that on purpose otherwise we don't see fields white unto harvest we see bad drivers we see politicians we see workers we see but it's not until we lift up our eyes and look that we begin to see fields that are white unto harvest we have to do that intentionally we have to do that on purpose and I believe today God is going to speak to us he already has and uh, I want to commend our team and they're leading us today and Mitch for presenting that. And I hope everyone at home right now or wherever you are viewing this, that some of those images today would touch your heart. And I ask you to come with us for the next few minutes as I share with you why we're a missions church. I want to share with you today our motive for missions. So would you reach out your hand towards me, please, and pray for me? Father, please don't ever let us, you know, just... Take it lightly or for granted that the world needs the gospel and we are its hope to bring the gospel. And Father, that we would not get so focused on ourselves that we forget about others. Please, Lord, it's just so easy to just, you know, get caught up in things. And I pray you will never let that happen to us. Never let that happen to me. And never let that happen to us as a church. May we live, Lord, every day with eternity in our heart. May we live every day with a sense of God and a sense of eternity and a sense of souls needing the gospel. May that always be before us, Father, in all that we do. So help me, I pray, in these next few minutes for those that are watching from home and those that are here in the living room in the church building. I pray you will just speak to us, Father, as we open our heart to you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Thank you, and you can take your seat. I'm often asked by pastors and friends and oh by the way have you noticed that I got shorter that's what Simon said to me the other day he said I noticed you got shorter actually what I did is I got a taller pulpit so there's two pulpits one is for me and one is for Carol this this one's this one's for me just letting you know because uh anyway nothing to do with missions just random but uh uh, I often have people ask the question, people that know about our church, Imaginations Church, they know about our missions conference, they know about our faith promises and, and what we do and how we give to missions and how we've been doing that for decades. And I just often get this question, so how do you guys do that? How do you do it, Jack? How do you, how do you give a million dollars a year for decades to missions? How do you give half your income? How do you guys do it? How do you do missions? And of course, I... I can try to talk through how we do it. Truthfully, we're still learning how to do it. it. Everything shifts and changes all the time, so we're still learning how. But I do my best to give the answer. But it's, as I've said other times, it's not the question I really want to answer. When people ask me, how do you do missions? The question that I really want to answer is, why do we do missions? It's why we do it. Because Pastor Messer taught us years ago that if our why is big, if we've got a big enough why, how, we work it out. 
We just figure it out. We, I don't know how. We just will make it work because of why. Because why is not, our why just brings us to very few options. We must do this. We must do this. All right, now we figure out how. And so I want to talk to us today about our motive. Our motive for missions. Why do we make faith promises? Why do we have a missions conference? Why do we have a mission Sunday every month? Why do we give so much money to missions and so much focus to missions? Why do we make it our first priority? I want to talk about that why. I want to talk about our motive for missions. So follow with me as I share with you uh, four uh, life-changing thoughts that have changed my life and I believe has guided our church into why and our motive for missions. And the first is this. It is because of debt. Debt. We owe a debt. Paul said in Romans chapter 1 and verse 14 through 16, I am a debtor to Greeks and to barbarians. I'm a debtor to wise people and unwise people. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and then the Gentile. What would be our motive for missions? A debt. A debt. I am a debtor. We owe the good news to every man and every woman and every boy, and every girl. A debtor, a debtor, the Greek word here for debtor means one who owes another, one who is held by an obligation. We're held by an obligation. We owe a debt to every man. Paul said, I owe a debt. We owe what we know. We owe what we know, and we know we owe who we know. And we owe this to every man and every woman who doesn't know, who doesn't know. Charles Halp, our great missionary friend of this church for many years, we've supported him in Africa. And Charles Halp said to me back when he was a young man, he said to me, the debt you owe to God is payable to man. Jesus said in Matthew 10 and verse 8, freely you've received. Amen. Amen. Freely we have received. Now he says freely give. Freely give what you have freely received. We who know the gospel owe the gospel to every man and every woman. God reconciles us to himself and then gives us the ministry of reconciliation. We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 18, God has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. Come on, we're going to sing the praises forever just for that right there. That God has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. We owe. 
we owe. The New Living Translation says, All this newness of life is from God, who brought us back to himself through what Christ did. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. The gospel bought us back and we must pay it forward. Paul said, I am a debtor to Greeks and I am a debtor to barbarians. You know, we live in a society of entitlement. You know, we, 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 we grow up in this, at least in this Western world society, it's like a, a culture of entitlement. You know, we feel like uh, the world owes us something, that, that we're entitled, you know, and we have it backwards. Yeah. We grew up thinking somebody owes me something. Yeah. But the scriptures do not teach me that society owes me anything. Yeah. I'm the one who owes something. I owe something to someone. I owe something to everyone. I was lost. I was perishing. I was without hope. And then this message came to me that I could be found, that I I was bought, and that I could be saved. And I owe this message that God loves the world so much that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I owe this message to everyone. I owe a debt to every man that is going to the judgment seat of God without Christ as his Savior. Because that was me. But it's not me any longer. Why do we do missions? Because we owe a debt. Because we have freely received the gospel. And we must freely give it. We have a debt to every man. Our motive for mission is debt. But secondly, we have another motive. And it's devotion to Jesus. It's love for Jesus. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14, for the love of Christ compels us. The love of Christ compels us. This is an interesting word in the Greek language. Suniko, to compel, means to compress or arrest. It means to constrain. It means to preoccupy, like to lie sick of something, to be in a strait, like to be in dire straits over something. For the love of Christ compels us. We have a debt to man and we have a devotion to God. We do missions because we love Jesus. That's my whole missions theology. In John 14 and verse 15, Jesus said, if you love me, oh, Jesus, if I love you, what do you mean if I love you? If you love me, I love you. If you love me, obey my commandments. The message says, translates it this way, if you love me, show it by doing what I've told you to do. This is our motive for missions is we love Jesus and we're showing him our love by doing what he's told us to do. In the 1700s, 
I watched, I watched a, a documentary, I think it was on Netflix, about the Moravians. I uh, watched this a year or two ago, and it's the story of Count Zinzendorf, who became the founder of the Moravians. And Zinzendorf lived, he was born in 1700, and he was very wealthy, and he, owned, he was a property owner, and he began to give refuge to Christians who were being persecuted, and they came to his huge property there in, in Germany, and they began to pray. They actually started a prayer meeting that lasted 100 years, and they became the, uh, the amazing missions movement that even led John Wesley to Christ. And Count Zinzendorf had this as his life you know, vision statement. His life motto was this, to gain for the lamb the reward of his suffering. He lived his life to gain for the lamb the reward of his suffering. And he wrote these words. He said, I have but one passion, and it is he. It is he alone. The world is the field, the field is the world, and henceforth that country shall be my home where I can be most used in winning souls for Christ. And he began to pour this passion and this vision into young people that came to, to, for refuge there who became part of the prayer meeting and part of the Bible studies. And his heart and his passion was to obey the Great Commission. And he began a missionary movement like the world had hardly seen since the New Testament times. And young people would leave that safety of, of, of the uh, refuge, and they would go, and some of them would sell themselves at slave auctions. They would sell themselves as slaves so that they could spend their lives serving the slaves. They would step up on auction blocks, and they, and, and they, would, be, and they would sell themselves. Others would, would go to closed, locked-in uh, uh, leper colonies where no one could ever come out if somebody walked in. And some of these Moravians would go into these leper colonies and the lepers would say, no, don't come in here, don't come in here. And they would come in and they would live and preach and serve and die themselves of leprosy. Why would you do something like that? Why would they do that? If I love Jesus, I want others to love him too. God's love for man compelled Jesus to come into the world, and our love for God must compel us to go into the world. And I have to say this, and I say this carefully and humbly because I don't even like mentioning my name among some of the wonderful, and a few names I'm going to mention today, but I tell you the truth, it was our love for Jesus that brought Carol and I to this country with our three children in 1987. It was our love for Jesus that caused us to say goodbye to the United States of America and goodbye to all of our family and goodbye to all of our friends and goodbye to the only life we had ever known. It was our love for Jesus that brought us here. So why do we do missions? We have a sense of debt. And we have a sense of devotion. And to me, the most natural response from a church that truly loves Jesus is to commit our very best resources, making his last command our first priority. Devotion to and love for Jesus is our motive for missions. Hudson Taylor was 21 years old when he left Yorkshire, England in the 1850s. And he left for China, like the first missionary ever to go to China. And he became the founder of the China Inland Mission. Hudson Taylor spent 51 years of his life in China. 
He recruited over 800 more missionaries after coming as the first. And he founded over 125 schools. Hudson Taylor so immersed himself in the Chinese culture. He learned the language. He learned dialects. He learned all the languages to the point where for the first time ever a New Testament was put into the language of the Chinese people. And while those 51 years of serving God, Hudson Taylor buried a child. And then he buried another child. And then he buried another child. And he served Christ and he buried another child. And he served the Lord and he buried another child. And he served the Lord and he buried another child. And eventually he buried his wife. And in 1905, he himself is buried right now at the Yangtze River. And while recruiting missionaries from England, Hudson Taylor wrote these words. Oh, for eloquence to plead the cause of China. For a pencil dipped in fire to paint the condition of this people. If I had a thousand pounds, China should have it. If I had a thousand lives, China should have them. No, not China, but Christ. Can we do too much for him? Can we do enough for such a precious Savior? Today, the largest Christian church in the history of the world is in China. What is it that motivates a 21-year-old man? What is it? Why do we as a church, why are we a missions church? Because of a debt and because of a devotion. And also, because of a duty. A mandate, a call, a great commission. A duty. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 16, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. The message translates it like this. If I proclaim the message, it's not to get something out of it for myself. I'm compelled to do it and doomed if I don't. Woe is the church if we do not preach the gospel to the nations of the world. Woe is this generation if we die and do not do our duty. Debt. Devotion. Duty. The sense of duty was in Jesus when he said in John chapter 9 and verse 4, I must work the works of him who sent me. While it is day, because the night is coming when no one can work. It's our duty to get the gospel to every person. In Mark chapter 16 and verse 15, Jesus says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The Living Bible says, You are to go into the world and preach the good news to everyone, everywhere. This is called the Great Commission. I want to be a part of the Great Obedience. That's what missions is. It's the great obedience. Father, let us be a part of a church that is sold out to the great obedience. John Stott, in his book, The Cross of Christ, which I'm reading right now, 
said, God is the author of salvation. Christ is the agent of salvation. And we are the ambassadors of salvation. We are the ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Ambassadors have a duty. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak, we speak, we speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Ambassadors have a duty. And we're not only ambassadors for Christ. Paul teaches us that we are also soldiers of Christ. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2, in verse 3, he says, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who has enlisted him to be his soldier. Soldiers have a duty. A duty. In 1839, when James Calvert went out as a missionary to the cannibals of the Fiji Islands, the ship's captain begged him to not get off the boat. He'd grown so fond of James Calvert and his, and his team that he'd come, and when they finally reached from Scotland the shores of Fiji, and when that captain saw the reception that was awaiting them on the beach, he pleaded, he begged, he fell down on his knees, and he said, please don't go. You will lose your life and the lives of those with you if you go onto that beach. And to that, James Calvert took his hands and said, Sir, sir, we died before we came here. A sense of debt, a sense of devotion, a sense of duty. In 1887, 32-year-old Scottish missionary John Keith Falconer died in the Arabic nation of Yemen. Let me tell you something. Young men today are dying of boredom. Let me tell you what this young man died of. He died of malaria while preaching the gospel. He was a world-class athlete, and he was from an aristocratic family. And this is what John Keith Falconer said. I have but one candle of life to burn. And I would rather burn it out in a land filled with darkness than in a land flooded with light. A sense of debt. A sense of devotion. A sense of duty. John Getty and his wife and their children sailed from Scotland to the islands of the South Pacific in 1846. They based their life and ministry in the islands of the New Hebrides, which today we know as Vanuatu. For 24 years of toil, in darkness unbelievable. If you read any of his works or writings, some of his experiences were, are mind-boggling. You could hardly read them out loud, some of the things he experienced and witnessed and saw in those islands. But after 24 years of toil, on December the 14th, 1872, John Getty died in Geelong, Australia. And a tablet was prepared here in Sydney and was placed behind the pulpit of the church where he had spent those 24 years preaching. To this very day, you can visit that church 
and you can read from this pulp, the pulpit this plaque. In memory of John Getty, Doctor of Divinity, born in Scotland in 1815, missionary. When he landed in 1848, there were no Christians here. And when he left in 1872, there were no heathen. John Stott says, it is a remarkable truth that the same God who worked through Christ to achieve the reconciliation now works through us to announce it. Through Christ, God purchased salvation for the world. Through us, he proclaims it to the world. A debt, a devotion, a duty. And finally this morning, and Leo, if I could have our team, please. I'm talking about why. I'm talking about our motive. Debt, devotion, duty, and finally today, destiny. Destiny is written all over this. It's written all over us. It's prophesied that this gospel is going to get preached in all the world. You just go to the book of Revelation and you're going to see the throngs of the nations standing before God. You know what that means? That means somebody got it done. Somebody somewhere rose up and made Jesus' last command their first priority. Destiny. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, we read, But you are a chosen generation, a royal, a chosen generation. Man, if there was ever a chosen generation, I'm speaking to a chosen generation right now. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We are a chosen generation. And I believe that we are the generation that can and will fulfill the great commission in our lifetime. We will fulfill the great commission with great obedience. The harvest is our destiny. I believe this. In Matthew 24 and verse 14, Jesus said, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. Then. Only when this gospel has been preached in all the world will the end come. And we are going to give him the great obedience to get this gospel to the least and the last person to ever hear it. They're going to hear it in our lifetime. I believe this with all of my heart. Jesus said in Matthew 13 and verse 39, the harvest is the end of the age. The harvest. Don't be too concerned about all the craziness you're seeing right now. Let me tell you what's coming. Harvest! Oswald J. Smith said, any church that is not seriously involved in helping to fulfill the Great Commission has forfeited its biblical right to exist. 
The end time harvest is our destiny. This is Mission Sunday. And I'm talking about our motive for missions. The reason why we're such a missions church. The reason why we make faith promises. I know of families, couples in this church who pay their tithes and then pay once again and twice again their tithes in missions. I know that for a fact. Talking about why. Why we do that. I'm talking about why we make Jesus' last command our first priority. Here's why. We have a debt to every man. We have a devotion to Jesus. We have a duty to obey. And we have a destiny to fulfill. Would you stand with me, please? Would you bow your heads? I've asked the Lord to do something special in this moment. I've asked the Lord, as his eyes go to and fro throughout the whole earth, that they would go to and fro this morning throughout this building and throughout the homes of those who are engaged with us right now. And I've asked the Lord to reveal himself to you and to call you to his purpose. I pray that this will be the most significant Sunday you have ever lived for someone right now. Someone right now is deciding you are not going to live a boring life. Someone right now is deciding your whole life, your whole focus, your whole purpose, your whole reason, your whole business, your whole family is to be a part of the great obedience. And I ask you to do that, Father. Begin with me and do that across this building and, Lord, everyone who's watching. So, Holy Spirit, would you right now do more than just, you know, allow us to hear a sermon because we've heard hundreds. Some of us have heard thousands. But I pray today, Holy Spirit, you will come on the wings of these words. And I pray you will come to hearts and lives today will commit themselves to the great obedience, I pray in Jesus' name.